many of you liked English better than any other subject when you were in school or now that you are in school? There's one, a few toward the back, maybe, one right down here at the front. How many of you liked history better than any other subject? All right, there's some history people right there. What about those of you who liked math better than any other subject? See, that's where the godly people are. Math was my best subject in school. It was the one that I made the best grades in. I made the highest score out of all of the sections on the ACT in math. I tore it up. I made an 11 in math on the ACT, so I was really good in math. What about science? Is there anyone who likes science more than any of the other subjects? Okay. Now, I liked physics and chemistry because to me, they were math. They really weren't science. The subjects were science-related, but to me, chemistry and math, uh, chemistry and physics were just math in a different form. And so they were all right, but I did not like biology. Not because of my teacher. I had a great teacher at West Point High School who taught biology, but a particular part of the subject matter is what really bothered me. I have a very weak stomach. And so when we got to the, to the times when we would dissect animals, I did not enjoy those days in biology. We started by dissecting an earthworm. And I don't mean a little earthworm that you would carry around in your hand that washes up on the sidewalk during a heavy rain. I mean one that they obviously had pumped full of steroids. And it was a long, thick earthworm, and we would have to cut it open and look at its insides. And I did not care for that at all. After earthworms, we went to frogs, and we started dissecting some of those, again, giant frogs. I don't even know where they grow these things, but they would be these enormous frogs that we would have to cut open. And then from there, I'm about to upset some of you here, we dissected a cat. Now, to me, that's a good start. Let's get rid of all of the cats in the world. They're the dev devil's favorite animal. God loves dogs and uh, cats are, are, in fact, I'm not even certain that the serpent that came into the garden was not a form of a cat. And so we had to dissect that and then we finished up with a little pig that we dissected. We had bacon after lab that day. Now, some people loved dissecting animals they they eagerly would go in and they would start cutting and peeling back skin and they oh I got his heart beat 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 but I did not care for that I would have to go sit in the corner and have a popsicle because I just didn't like dealing with all of that and so biology is the study of living things chemistry and physics do deal with matter and material that we have in the world but it's not living Biology is the study of all living things, plants, animals, all t creatures that are, that are living is the study of biology. This morning, I want us to look at spiritual biology. I want us to look at some lessons that Paul wrote to us about the body of Christ. So I invite you to join me, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. These letters that we have in the New Testament written by Paul and some others were written to real live human beings. 
the people who received this letter lived in Corinth. And so, therefore, the letter is called 1 Corinthians because it's the first letter that Paul wrote to them. If someone were writing a Bible letter to us today, they would, they would address it to people in union. I don't know what we're called here, unionites, uniononians, hillbillies, whatever. But if someone were writing that letter to us, it would have some form of that the same way that Corinthians did. Bible scholars are... are in complete agreement that Paul wrote at least three letters to the Corinthians. We have two of them in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians, and then there's a third letter that Paul named his painful letter or his sorrowful letter because of how firmly he had to deal with the sin in the, in the Corinthian church. Some of the scholars even think that Paul may have written a fourth letter to them based on some other evidence that they read in these letters. This letter is the first one that Paul wrote to these people. And after dealing with some of the controversies that they faced earlier in the book, he got to this very rich theological section on what is the body of Christ? What is it that, that we who have been saved by Jesus Christ are called to be? Would you begin reading with me, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where Paul said... For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all, all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Paul said, look, we have a very diverse history. Some of you were Jewish people who grew up going to synagogue. Some of you were, were Greek people or Gentile people who just heard the good news of Jesus and then you trusted Christ. Some of you grew up in a, in a free family and you may have had slaves. Some of you heard the good news as a slave, regardless of the diversity of our background, Paul says, we are one in Jesus Christ. Verse 14, indeed the body is not one part but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, uh, I'm, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? In other words, Paul said, look, if, if we all were the same organ, if we all were eyes, all were ears, the body would not be able to complete all of the functions that it needs to do. Verse 20, as it is there are many parts but one body, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, or again the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the, on the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts don't need. I know we have some little ears in here, so I'll be delicate here, but what Paul is referring to here are private parts. He says, look, those, those parts that we might view as as dishonorable we treat with even greater honor by clothing them and keeping them private then the middle part of verse 24 instead God has put the body together giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body but that the members would have the same concern for each other 
So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. What can we learn about spiritual biology from this section in 1 Corinthians 12? Well, the first idea that Paul talked about here is how we become part of the body. Perhaps you have heard someone say, well, we're all God's children, and that sort of notion, though it may be sentimental, is not at all true. Not every person who is breathing air on this planet is a child of God. In fact, the Bible says that exactly the opposite is the case, that, that people who have not yet surrendered to Jesus Christ are not children of God. They not only are not children of God, they are children of wrath, they are children of darkness. And so just because a person may be sitting in a church building today doesn't necessarily mean that he or she is a member of the body of Christ. Paul said, look, here's how we become a member of the body of Christ right there in verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. He says we weren't we weren't there at one time, but now we've been baptized by the spirit into one body. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Now, John chapter 1 deals with this issue. The Bible says there, John wrote for us, For as many as received him, to them and only them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus, on the night that Nicodemus visited him, said to Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see, you do not have a part of, you are not in the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was troubled. He was puzzled. He said, Jesus, I don't understand what you mean. You are talking about being born again. Is it possible for a man to reduce his body to the size so that he can fit within his mother's womb again? How does that even work? Nicodemus was thinking only in literal, concrete terms. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not saying that a man has to have another physical birth. He has to be born by the Spirit. And that's the way that we are made part of the kingdom of God. Paul picked up on that theme here, this spiritual rebirth, and he mentioned it here. He said, look, the way that a person becomes part of the body of Christ is by through the through the work of the Holy Spirit he or she knows the awfulness of his sin the ruin that sin causes in life and knowing that he or she has no hope other than the cross of Jesus Christ turns from that sin in repentance and then pledges his or her life to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit just because a person is sitting in a church sanctuary on a Sunday morning does not in any way mean that he or she is part of the body of Christ. It is only those who have said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I want to be forgiven of my sins. And in my own personal commitment, not because I was born to Christian parents, not because my mom or dad want, wanted me to be a Christian, but because I choose to surrender to you. That's the way that we become part of the body of Christ. That's how we join this heavenly family. Have you ever been at a sporting event when a person sitting in the wrong seat was escorted out? It's, it's better when it's an opposing fan. 
when the ushers come down and they tap you on the shoulder because you, they, they might have been sitting in the wrong seat. As I said, it's better when it's an opposing fan who's been acting obnoxious, especially if your team's losing, and then the usher comes down and says, Sir, I'm sorry, you're in the wrong seats, and then they have to take the walk of shame out of the section. If they've been obnoxious, maybe you've joined in singing, Na, 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 na. Hey, 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 good. And then off they went. Now, the reason that they had to leave is because they did not belong in those seats. They were sitting in them, and they may have looked like they belonged in those seats, but the people with the rightful tickets came along, and, and then they had to leave. Just because they were sitting in the seats didn't mean that they belonged there. Paul wanted to be very, very clear. He wanted every one of us to know that it is only through faith in Jesus that we are brought into the body of Christ. Not because we grew up in a church, not because mom and dad were Christian, not because someone prayed for us, but our personal response to the good news of Jesus is what brings us into his family as the Holy Spirit draws us. And Paul says, then he baptized us. He made us part of the body of Christ. And so he first of all dealt with here how we become part of the body. But then Paul dealt with a couple of potential problems that people who are in the body might experience. He began there in verse, uh, let me see here, verse 14, where he said, indeed, the body is not one part, but many. He said, look, we're very diverse. They're all, just as in a physical body, you have a kneecap and an elbow, you have fingers, you have, you have kidneys, you have a pancreas. He said, just like a physical body has many, many parts, but it's one unit, so are we that are in Christ. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. Paul said, here's a problem that churches may face. It may be that some members view themselves as insignificant. He said, in a physical body, an ear might say to the eye or might think about itself related to the eye, boy, that eye really is important. That eye takes in the light rays and and. Uh, sends messages to the brain and, and kind of directs a person. Boy, the eye really is important. But what am I? I'm an ear. I just hang on the side of the head. I look weird. On some people, I'm big enough to hook direct TV up to. I'm just this little appendage that, that sticks out. You have to tape them back. Boy, I wish that I could be an eye. Some church members may feel insignificant. And, and right before that, he said, what about the foot? The foot might look at itself and say, I, I don't have the nimble function that hands do. I can't put a key into a lock. I, I can't drive, uh, turn a steering wheel. I can't throw a football. Boy, if only I could be a hand, but, but I'm just a foot. The whole day I spend on the ground. There's nothing attractive about me. I, I, there's, there's nothing nimble about me. If I could only be a hand. Paul said, look, just because the ears and the feet have different functions than the eyes and the hands 
they're not any less important. They're not any less a member of the body of Christ, and their role isn't any less essential. And so Paul said sometimes church members might compare themselves to others and they may view those people's roles as more prominent, more important, but Paul shattered that notion here. He said, no, 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 not at all. Don't let any member of the body of Christ view himself or herself as insignificant. He said, God designed you. He made you exactly the way that you are and he placed you in the body just as he desired. That's what Paul said there in verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. I love the phrasing here. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts, not some of the parts. It isn't that God looked out at First Baptist Union and said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to, to give some people specific roles there. Nor did he say, I'm going to give most people some specific roles there and everyone else will just kind of jumble them up together. God designed each one of us, every single person who is listed on our church roles, who has been saved by Jesus Christ, is in this body exactly the way that God intended for you to be. If there were any other gift, skill, talent, configuration through which God could have used any of us any more effectively, then that's the way that we would have been made. Those are the talents. Those are the skills. Those are the spiritual gifts. Those are the passions that we would have. God didn't make a mistake with any of us. No person is here simply because of biology. No one is here just because your mom and dad decided, hey, let's have a baby. No one is here just because your mom and dad said, hey, the first one didn't turn out so well. Let's try to have another baby. That's why some of you have 11 brothers and sisters because your parents were determined to keep trying till they had a decent kid. I want this truth to sink deep into each one of our hearts. God placed each member in the body exactly as he wanted to be. And so every single one of us is essential and vital. No person is more prominent than another. We all have a role to play. I'll give you this example. There's a body part that I am using right now that is, that is vital for what I am doing. But you probably aren't thinking about it. There is a body part that I'm using right now as you, are, or as you are listening and watching that is important to what I'm doing. Now, as you're sitting there thinking, you, you might say, well, his lungs have to breathe in the air so that he can project volume out to us, and then his mouth has to be used, his lips and tongue have to form the words as they go out. His brain has to think of what he's going to say next. His devastatingly good-looking face has to present the word you know, out there to us. But do you know that right now I could not do what I'm doing the way I'm doing it without my big toes? Try this when you stand up when we dismiss from here about 1.30 today. When you stand up, 
your big toes are what keep us in balance. They, they measure the amount of weight that is, that is shifting as we walk, as we stand. And if we start to get off balance, it is our big toes that, that signal, hey, we need to put more pressure down. For example, when, when we stand up and leave from here, just rock forward on your feet. Just, just shift the weight from all of your feet and act as if you were rolling forward. And it will not be your ankles or any, your big toes immediately will press down with force to keep your body from, from tumbling over. And so as we stand, as we walk, you can see that the big toe is what is measuring the pressure and making sure that we end up where we're supposed to be. It may seem to be insignificant, but it's important. And that's the lesson that Paul was teaching here. He was saying, look, there isn't any person who is insignificant in, in God's spiritual body. If, if we wanted to use an athletic analogy, sometimes when we are watching football games, in fact, this afternoon there's going to be a high-profile one, and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are going to square off in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and a lot of attention is being focused on them. And sometimes we in the church say, well, we have quarterbacks and we have running backs and we have receivers, and then we have these kind of insignificant people. I'll tell you, it's awfully hard for a superior quarterback to complete a pass lying on his back. If no offensive lineman block for him and defensive linemen and linebackers crush his body to the ground, he will not be very effective. It's pretty difficult for a quarterback to complete a pass with a receiver who drops the ball. Believe me, I've watched enough Mississippi State games enough to know that if the ball hits the receivers in the hands and they drop it, it won't be a completed pass no matter how well it was thrown. It all works together. Paul said the same is true in the body of Christ. There aren't any insignificant members. There's not a person sitting in this building. There's not a person on our church rolls that isn't important. But then Paul turned the coin over and he looked at another problem that the church may have. There's this issue of some people may, feeling, may feel insignificant and then there's the other issue where some people may feel independent. There in verse 19, Paul continued with, And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Paul said, look, now sometimes we may have some church members that start to get inflated opinions of themselves. It isn't that, they're that their views of themselves are too lowly. They view themselves too highly. And Paul said, look, the, these body parts, uh, for example, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. I can see everything. I can, I can take care of everything. Well, how are you going to feed yourself? How, he, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor, he says, can the head say to the feet, I don't need you. There isn't a sense of independence in the body of Christ either. No member can then begin to view themselves as higher than the others and say, really, I'm the reason that this ch church functions. I'm the one who really keeps it going. I'm the one who, who makes everything happen. Paul says, look, even if you are the head, you still, still need the feet. And even if you are the eyes, you still need the hands. This attitude can show up in a couple of other athletic metaphors that I want to show you. For some people, they view church 
like they do golf. Golf is an individual sport, and I know that schools may play with each other, you know, and have teams that way, but golf really is an individual sport. You don't have anybody defending you, and your score really is based only on what you do. You go out to the golf course, you swing the golf club, you hit the ball, you say a few bad words, and then you go to where the ball landed, you fish it out of the lake, and you keep right on going. Golf is an individual sport. You can play a round of golf all by yourself. And you can work to improve your score all by yourself. Church, however, isn't like golf. Church is like basketball. Basketball is a team sport. Now, it is true you can practice out in your driveway and work individually on your dribbling, and there are some individual skills that you have to have. But if you are going to win a basketball game, you must play with four other teammates. One person against five, no matter how skilled, gifted, and talented that one person is, will not defeat five. That's the way church is. Church isn't like golf. Church isn't, I'm just going to do my thing, and I really won't worry about anybody else. Church is like basketball. If we don't have each other, we all lose. And so Paul said, let me make sure to address both of these situations here. There's not anybody who's insignificant. There's not anybody who says, well, shoot. God just kind of passed over me when he was passing out the important gifts. Nor should anybody say, you're right, he did pass over you because he gave them all to me. Paul says, there are a couple of issues that we need to be sure to clear up. And, and, and wipe away. Well, then Paul finishes this passage by talking about the incredible good that the body can do when it works together. If you look in the middle part of verse 25, he wrote, Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, so that it all would work together. The brain would communicate to the feet, we need to run. The, the lungs would pump the air. The heart would get, or the, the lungs would push the air in and out. The, the heart would pump the blood everywhere that it needs, so that there would be no division in the body but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Paul said, you know what it's like in your physical body. If you sprain your ankle, the rest of your body helps compensate. The rest of your body knows that the ankle is hurting. It doesn't isolate it and say, oh, well, you know, that's too bad for the ankle. In the same way, Paul says, when one member is honored, that, that one member of the body doesn't say, hey, everybody, look at what I did. It all comes together. Now, this summer, in, athletes from all over the world are going to gather in Japan. And this summer, athletes are going to run, they're going to jump, they're going to pole vault, they're going to swim, they're going to play basketball, they're going to lift weights. All, all athletes from, from countries all over the world are going to descend in Tokyo. And their human bodies are going to perform great feats. Mark it down. Remember that I said this. This summer in Japan, if the Olympics are able to be held, 
Someone is going to run faster than any human being ever has run. Mark it. World records will be set. This summer, someone is going to swim faster than any human being ever has before. Mark it down. Someone is going to jump higher. Someone is going to lift more weight. This summer, we are going to stand in awe as these human beings who have trained and, and developed their skills, who have worked their bodies, built up endurance, they are going to perform feats which never have been done on this planet. And stories, perhaps, will be written that will be read decades later. I mean, we still hear about Jesse Owens in the Olympics over in Germany. We still hear about various Olympic athletes who have won more gold medals in a particular set of the Olympics than any other. Stories this summer in Tokyo, Japan will be written and people will be talking about them for decades. Would it not be sensational if our body here at First Baptist Union wrote a story through the power of the Holy Spirit that people still would be talking about decades later. That they would look at the legacy of faithfulness and service and they would say, look at how God used the body of Jesus to perform well. I have a couple of specific applications with which I want to close. The first one is this one. In order for a body to perform well, every member must be active. In a human body, if you have only the arms working, or you have only the legs working, if you have only the internal organs working, but the muscles and the, the bones don't do their jobs, then that body doesn't function as it was designed to function. All of the parts, the many parts, must be together as one. In order for us as a body of Christ here at First Baptist Church Union to perform well, every single member must carry out his or her role. We don't have anyone on our church roles, not one single person, to whom God has said, I don't want you to serve, I just want you to receive the blessings. There's not one. No one is excluded from the call of, for, of fulfilling a role in the body of Christ. Just as in our physical bodies, there are no parts that simply say, hey, feed me. Make sure that the blood keeps flowing to me. Make sure that oxygen comes in that blood. There isn't a single part of our body that is designed only to receive they all give they all support our church won't ever will not ever be in the center of God's plans for us unless every member is serving there's not one person listening to this message who can say, Gary, I'm excluded from that. My position is just to come and sit here on Sunday and then I 
see you next Sunday. I will tell you as sincerely and as lovingly as I know how, that is rebellion against God. For any church member to say, I'm a part of the body of Christ, but I do nothing for it or through it, is sin against God. And so for us to perform well, every single member must say, how has God gifted me? In what ways would he use me? And then fulfill those roles. The next application that I would make is that in order to perform well, a body must perform every day. If our bodies awakened on Monday morning and said, I've come through the weekend, I'm rested, I'm, I'm recharged, and so today I'm going to get up out of bed, I'm going to, to go to work or I'm going to go to school, but then the rest of the week my body is going to shut down. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then, then, I'm, then I'm not going to function. The heart's not going to beat. The lungs aren't going to breathe. I, I'm not going to, to go out and work. I'm not going to go to school. Then we would say, well, then wait a minute. There's an issue with the body. It's not performing well. The same thing is true in spiritual biology when we are thinking about the body of Christ. We are not called to be a gathering of people who come to see each other on Sunday morning. Now, what we do here while we're gathered together is, is very important. We worship God. We, we, we present our offerings to God. We say, God, you've blessed me this week, and so I want to, to help to support the body of Christ. There are lots of things that go on here that are very, very important. But if we only are a gathering of people who sit together in a building, then we're not a church. The body functions every day. The body says... Monday there's ministry to be done Tuesday there are, there are uh, opportunities to tell the good news of Jesus Christ Wednesday there is this opportunity to lift one who has fallen Thursday there's an opportunity to have a hard conversation with someone whose priorities have gotten out of line no the body of Christ doesn't simply gather on Sunday and then say okay we've enjoyed being together and then disperse not to minister we minister every day if we are to be the body of Christ and so I want to be a part of what God is doing. I want to see the spiritual biology lessons that God has for us in his word to be lived out in our bodies. I never once enjoyed the biology classes that I had in high school or college. I, I never liked the subject matter. But this subject of spiritual biology invigorates me. I love seeing the body of Jesus Christ moving, serving, working as he called us to and seeing what he does through us. Steve and the musicians are going to come and they're going to lead us in a closing song of commitment today. Now, when we dismiss from here, I want to make sure that you understand two things. First, it would not at all surprise me if someone in the building today, when we were talking at the beginning of the message on what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and how a person becomes part of the body, maybe there's a man, a woman, a college student, a teenager, a boy or, a boy or girl who said, you know what, I... I, I'm sitting in a church building, but I'm not sure that I am part of the body of Christ. When you were talking about repenting and, and turning from our sins and looking to Jesus to save me, I, I am not certain that that is right with me. 
If, if so, I would love to talk with you right after the service. I'll be standing right down here on the front row. Steve will be available. Corbin will be available. We all would love to talk with you about how you can become part of the body of Christ. Maybe you're like the majority of us in this room and you say, I know I'm part of the body of Christ. I really, I belong to Jesus. I don't have any questions about that. But perhaps you would say, Gary, I'm not really serving. I do receive and I do want to come and be a part of the body of Christ, but, but I can't point to anything specifically that I am doing that is a function of my being a part of the body of Christ. And so I want you to pray with me. I want you to help me discover some ways that maybe I can serve and be more effective in that. I would love to talk with you about that too. 